Hello, everyone, and welcome to the State of Sport Management, a podcast with Dr. Matthew Hummel coming from the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. Here's this week's episode. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode here of State of Sport Management. Today, we're going to kind of dive into the upcoming NASM conference that will knock on wood be in person in Atlanta, Georgia this year. And I think something that I'm always talking to people about is submitting abstracts and getting feedback, just like we all sometimes complain on social media or in person about reviews and comments we get from reviewers. The same stuff happens in conference stuff, and sometimes it can also be, I guess, almost even more important because for all of us, when we submit stuff, it can be very little content and you're having to give feedback to that person. So it is a very difficult task for both sides. But today I kind of wanted to bring in some of our NASM leadership people here to talk about the abstract process and potentially comments or recommendations that they would give to the people submitting materials and then the comments and recommendations they would also give to the reviewers and section heads. So everyone kind of has uh, some similar ground rules of how to go and approach this objective that we have here. So today I have Bree Newland, who's with New York University, and I have Brian McCullough, who's at Texas A&M University. We won't talk about football for Brian, you know, just because A&M isn't doing so well right now. Thank you. <laughs> um, but Bree can kind of get us started here. We have the, NAB, the NASM abstract submission deadline coming up, but kind of give us a quick overview of deadlines and maybe what's expected for the authors to submit. Sure, absolutely. So our portal opened on October 1st. And uh, if you haven't been to the new website, you can definitely find all the information under the conference heading in terms of when to submit, what to submit, the different types of categories. There are a few new ones that have been added to the mix in terms of um, subcategories. So um, in terms of uh, topic areas and or sport types, uh, sport area types like recreation, amateur, professional, et cetera. So just be on the lookout for a few of those minor changes. We've also um, moved, as you all know, the teaching and learning fair was moved to the same time um, in terms of when submissions are due, which is November 1st. Um, also, we have slightly shifted the teaching and learning fair um, uh, process, if you will, um, in terms of uh, it, it, it you, you select the, the option with all of the other abstract options um, and the review process will happen um, similarly to the, all the other reviews. So just be on the lookout that there it's, it's now under one umbrella and just, and the teaching and learning fair information is provided in that, that process outlined in the on the website. So uh, those are some minor changes that have come through. Uh, everything's due November 1st, and we're looking forward to your submissions for Atlanta. Yeah. And the kind of taking off from there, I think that's the big thing is we're recording this on October 7th, and we'll make sure this gets published before the deadline. I know people are kind of in the midst of their prep right now with the expectation that you'll probably get it in within close to the deadline for some of you, probably a little too close to of comfort, but we all have our own stresses that we, we uh, use to essentially get stuff done. But Today, we're going to talk, we're going to start off essentially with reviews. So either one of you can kind of take this from the beginning, but thinking about the reviewers and what makes outstanding review, like what are you focusing on, whether as a section head or hoping what the conference is hoping to achieve from the reviewers on getting feedback to the people that were submitting materials? I mean, I would certainly say the best reviews that I've seen teach in a lot of ways. Uh, granted, there are 500 words. So we're limited on space and that's changed in recent years to be more limited. 
And because of that, we have to offer uh, some grace, I would say, to the writer and in because they're not going to be able to have a full literature review to be able to address the purpose, the the so what factor, and then also the background literature in 500 words, and then talking about the back half of the, the um, project is extremely difficult. So providing some grace there and really looking at not kind of the extensiveness, which a common uh, comment that I've seen as a section head is uh, not enough literature, literature review is weak. Those aspects, I mean, are extremely difficult and extremely infuriating. <laughs> Uh, as a writer to get back is like, what am I supposed to do with 500 words? And so I think there's some grace that needs to be given there. Um, you know, and I guess it's a, it's a difficult thing to kind of put your finger on saying like this person clearly knows the literature or uh, has provided an ample justification for the study and has jumped then into their methods. And so that, that for me is like the number one thing that I see that one is infuriating as a writer myself, but then also as a section head, when you get something back, it's like, come on, people, let's give again, some more grace to these writers. So that would be the top thing for me that I've seen. Yeah, I would agree with Brian. I think, you know, the, the grace and, and the recognition that we do only have 500 words is really important. Um, but the, the best reviews that I've seen have really focused on you know, providing good feedback on what is, you know, what is provided in those 500 words um, and really focusing on method and results if the results are, are there, because I know we have in progress options as well, but, um, you know, and really focusing on how well the, the author can make the case in that limited space. And so, you know, as you're writing abstracts, certainly thinking about that, you know, how can I, how can I best say this? You know, I talk to students all the time about being able to get your point across very succinctly. And, and I think that's the same issue here. And so when we, when we review, you know, being able to provide that feed, that really relevant feedback is so important. And we do have some great reviewers who can do that within those 500 words. And so just being able to find those nuggets or find those uh, issues that might not be clear that you can ask them to expand on in their presentation or their poster um, would be really important. And so I, those are the types of reviews we're looking for. Yeah, and I'm going to jump in here. Obviously, I'm not anywhere near the level of each of you is kind of reviewing a lot of this stuff, but I'm always big, especially like you said, I don't think we can hit this hard enough. 500 words, that's it. Like, there's very little you can cover in that. And the idea that literature review is probably the least important section or subject that you should be covering in those 500 words. Really, you should be talking a lot about the hook, why it's important, and then potentially your results if you are that far along. But to me, it's just more of if you really feel like there was something missing about the literature review is weak or whatever section, even if you're saying that this section needed more, the question to me is more of could you provide direction on what should have not been used, like where you should have saved those words? Because I get it sometimes like with a, with a JSM or SMR, we have lots of pages Maybe there isn't as much of a focus from a reviewer on what you should take it out, but 500 words to me, you should be very direct on, you should have spent more time on your method and less than this, because to me, if you just think that things should be added, it's like a 500 words, like a whole sentence could be like, you might only be spending a couple of sentences on that literature review because that's just all the space that you have type thing. I agree <laughs> with both of you. <laughs> and I, you know, in, in looking at a review in kind of saying this to reviewers that are out there, I mean, I would not expect to see 500 word review coming back, um, but definitely more than 
I mean, I, sometimes I've seen, and I understand people are busy, um, but you know, I've seen three sentence reviews come back and like, this is, that's not enough. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, I said grace before, and I'm now going to say the golden rule of review, uh, you know, provide the review that you wish you would, would, would have received uh, on yours and really kind of give that time um, to really, as you said, Matt, kind of jump into those areas of what should really be focused on, because perhaps if you're even drafting your review or excuse me, your, your abstract and you are focusing a majority or, you know, 60, 70% of your, uh, your abstract is actually focused on method, then maybe you should actually be changing the category of your, uh, of your actual abstract itself and kind of being cognizant of those different topical areas um, uh, that we have listed um, under the submission portal. Yeah, and I would also add, you know, um, in terms of the feedback, you know, I've gotten some really great feedback in an abstract that actually helped my paper. Um, and so, you know, when you think about the type of feedback you're giving, you know, that can actually really benefit not only the presentation, because obviously that's what we're trying to surprise, provide support for, um, but also their paper too, even if it's just in that little snippet you get in that 500 words, it really can help maybe even in the paper development too. So, you know, thinking about how you can be really constructive, even in those 500 words can really help the author. And so I would share my frustration with, with Brian in that, you know, when you only get a couple lines back, it's not useful in terms of helping them for their presentation or their poster, but then also, you know, thinking about how they might develop that paper or be developing that paper in that moment, um, you know, providing some little nuggets of support there could be, could go a long way. And I'm going to kind of go back a little bit. I know we're going to the common mistakes and we want to hit on a few more to make sure that people are providing better direction. But what about outstanding reviews? Thinking of reviews that either you saw as a section head or maybe you received as an author submitting things. Is there any really noticeable trends or even the things you have in your memory of what would construct an outstanding review? I know Brian also hit on like, hey, don't just write three sentences. Like what else can we think of beyond that? Yeah, those little nuggets of help, you know, critiques that can really benefit are important, I think. Um, if there's anything that needs to be clarified in terms of method or results, you know, that's very helpful for the for the presenter, especially as they're, you know, getting ready to present at the, at the conference. And so any type of feedback that can help them in their evolution of preparing for the presentation or their paper, that's what I really appreciate when the reviewers provide that, um, you know, especially given the limited space they have to review, um, you know, that, that is definitely helpful for me as a, as a presenter myself, but also um, as a section head. And I would say the reviews that I've seen that have been excellent stay within the context and the boundaries that the uh, author had proposed for the study. Um, and I think that staying within those comments and then trying to help them build up um, and improve their abstract, which is a little bit difficult because there isn't necessarily a resubmission of uh, abstracts here with NASM as perhaps with other conferences. And so it's, it is informing, as Bree said, the presentation and the resulting publication off of it, ideally. And so it's going through those, stuff, those steps and really focusing again within the context of what's there rather than trying to assume what might uh, also be kind of the author's thinking. And so you just kind of have to take it at face value and say within that context that the author chose to present it. Okay. So I think one thing that comes up potentially with these reviews is that 
the reviewer is going to get potentially different types of abstracts or depending on what you're tapped to do is that you have different types of abstracts. And we have kind of ideas it's empirical, conceptual, methodological teaching, and then teaching and learning fair. I mean, how should that play into the reviewer's work of, or how they're critiquing your feedback that they're giving the, the person that's submitting the materials? Yeah, I think for me, the most frustrating part is uh, people tending to review all abstracts as empirical. And so, you know, provide asking questions that don't make sense for the type of submission. So, you know, if you have a conceptual uh, abstract, you know, making sure that you're reviewing it based on that type of abstract and not looking for specific results or findings or, you know, outcomes, you know, it's, it's a different type of of abstract. So, you know, really respecting that and it, it'll state at the top, you know, what type of category they've put this in. So just being very cognizant and aware of that is really important. Uh, you know, most of our abstracts tend to probably fall in the empirical, but really recognizing where they might be um, before you begin your, your review is really important, especially in, in relation to, um, you know, conceptual and method methodological work because they they will be set up differently and we need to be ready for that. And I'll, I'll get it kind of on a soapbox a little bit with this because I think the big thing that's important to think, especially for the non-empirical areas, is that we are going to have more of our membership that maybe isn't an R1 focused. Um, I think a lot of us sometimes fall into this trap of, hey, you know, NASM's maybe the launching pad for getting into JSM or submitting something to JSM or to SMR or one of our bigger journals in our field. And so we're really focused on the empirical, but for some of our uh, other folks that aren't as research focused, they still see this as a great outlet for their teaching abilities or critical work that they're doing in their, at their uh, institution. And I think that's where we need to provide better grace because they're just, they have a different objective that also can be just as fulfilling for them as what we're doing uh, or some of us are doing for the empirical area. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've submitted my good fair share of conceptual. Um, I love living in the conceptual <laughs> uh, area of research as, as well. And so I think, again, it's really being able to convey those, those aspects and being open to that too. And, and that's where our kind of our field can grow. Um, and I know just speaking from a personal note, the feedback that we got um, I think it was Tim Kellison, Matty Orr and I had on our sport ecology um, uh, abstract submission was, was great feedback. And you could tell that the reviewers were very open to new ideas within uh, the sport realm and kind of, a, I'm not trying to say that we made a, a huge stride with this thing, but you could see again that, that uh, the openness there. And I think at, to Bree's point, again, really looking at what category that's under and then really thinking about like, you might not agree with the idea, but again, it's how the idea gets presented itself and how the argument is being made. I think that's ultimately what it boils down to, whether it's empirical, conceptual, you know, methods. Again, we have to be comfortable again with, uh, you know, looking at things from a new light uh, within our field and whether or not that's substantiated by coming in from uh, one of our students is very interested in some like nurse nursing uh, research methods and, and bringing that in. And that's really interesting stuff, but it's like, is sport management in some ways ready for this or, or will they be receptive to it? And so I guess, you know, we'll be testing the boundaries there. So hopefully whoever reviews this one, um, I didn't give away the, too much there. Uh, at least it's still blind. <laughs> I'd also like to mention that, you know, the teaching versus the teaching and learning fair is going to be more practical in nature and, and provide maybe overviews of assignments that you're using and um, ways in which the students are engaging. Whereas the teaching abstract is going to be more pedagogy 
pedagogically focused. Very difficult for me to say, apparently. Um, and so, you know, this might be you know, not necessarily a practical outcome, but a research outcome. And so thinking about from those of us that are in, um, in teaching institutions, especially, you know, have you been trying some really cool things in the classroom um, that you can share in the teaching abstract section um, at, versus, you know, more practical, here are some assignments that I, that students are engaging with. So, you know, we would certainly like to see, you know, what some of you are doing in the classroom and how that's advancing our pedagogy. Yeah. And I think the thing I take away from what uh, Brian Brian are bringing up here is just, understand what category that is and what that might mean that there's a greater emphasis in certain areas compared to others. Because empirical, obviously, feel free to have critiques about methodology and the analysis that they're applying and all that stuff. Maybe that's going to be less important in teaching and learning fair and teaching, or maybe that is almost like non-existent. So that's where you just need to kind of think about those categories. But this kind of transitions to projects that are work in progress. So what would you guide a reviewer that's having a paper that is work in progress because we do see these submitted to the conference. I would start with the writer uh, or the author on the front end, you know, really being able to, in a sentence, describe when this is going to be executed, uh, you know, this idea. Uh, because, I mean, really, I mean, I've only seen works in progress for empirical. I would imagine teaching could uh, be work in progress and uh, methods could also be work in progress in some regard. But, you know, you would really want to see clearly like how this is going to be done. And I'll fully admit here on this podcast. So, you know, listen up that sometimes you propose an idea, it gets accepted and you're like, oh my gosh, now we got to go do it right now. And that's not best practice. I'm, I will fully say that and admit that. But sometimes that does happen. And so to really be able to outline when we're actually going to do this, to me as a reviewer, that makes it much more clear of like this, like sometimes one or one abstract I had as a reviewer, maybe like three or four years ago, proposed this very grand uh, idea. And it was very unclear on how that was actually going to get completed, even if they were already, if it really was a work in progress from submission to when NASA was going to happen. It's like, I don't know how this is going to happen. So being able to communicate how it will happen will really alleviate uh, the reviewer's um, uh, ambiguity in, the, in those aspects of reviewing it. And I'll kick it to Bree to how to handle the review uh, in or work in progress review. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of my biggest frustrations uh, is when there is a work in progress and someone says, why have you not discussed the findings and discussion? <laughs> so, you know, again, going back to being aware of what you're reviewing is really important, you know, and, and making sure. And that, again, to Brian's point, you know, as the author, you know, making sure that's clear is important. But then also as I'm reviewing those types, I'm looking at, you know, how certainly exactly what Brian just said, setting up that method, making sure that what you're doing is very clear. But then also those who consider, you know, expected outcomes and might discuss about how, what those might be or how that might impact the field. That's a really nice way to kind of wrap that up in terms of, you know, kind of what you're expecting, how it might impact us, and then what you'll discuss in your presentation. And so, you know, that will also help the reviewer because you're very clear in terms of what you're doing and what you're expecting 
um, the outcome to be or, or you know, some thoughts on that and the significance to the field and or practice. So those are the types of things that I look for in works in progress. And I really am supportive of my authors that provide feedback on that type of thing rather than asking for you know, findings and discussion, which aren't going to be there yet. <laughs> so again, making sure you're aware of what type of abstract you're reviewing becomes important in this case. And, and I think before we make the jump over to timeliness and the turnaround time for reviewers, I mean, is there anything else that you think that sticks out to you, whether that's more niche topics that you think would you'd give advice to for reviewers? Yeah, you know, some things that I've uh, respected is if I have a reviewer that has come back to me and said, this is kind of out of my realm. Like I don't feel confident reviewing this topic or this method. Um, and, you know, may, coming back and, and just admitting that instead of trying to provide a review for something that you might not really have the background to do. And I'll give you an example. I had um, a group, uh, an abstract that um, was really heavily in entrepreneurial theory and, um, but still an event um, an event management type of a, an abstract. And it was clear in the review that the reviewer didn't quite understand what the um, author was trying to do and, and gave a very poor review because they just didn't have that understanding. And so, um, you know, it's okay to admit that you're, you, this is maybe out of your realm and then we can get that abstract reassigned if necessary. And so I think it's important to admit when you're out of your, your depth or whatever that saying is, um, <laughs> and, 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 and being honest with that so that you can actually provide strong feedback or we can get a reviewer who, who is more familiar with the area and can provide strong uh, feedback. And so that is one thing I would suggest, and, and certainly I wouldn't mind being informed of that if, if one of my reviewers says, hey, I just don't think I can do this one. And, and I think, again, it's kind of the being open to new topics that might be entering into the sports space. Um, a former colleague of mine submitted something and they received scores of zero all the way down. And eventually that, what was that presentation ended up getting published in JSM. But uh, some of the feedback said, this doesn't fit in sport whatsoever. And I mean, it, in some ways it clearly did, but Perhaps it wasn't communicated as best as it could have, but then also the reviewer didn't necessarily, you know, you know, seemingly did not invest a lot of time in the, in the abstract. And so for people that might have things that are perhaps on the fringe of what might be considered sport management, um, just to be able to communicate that. But then also from the re reviewer side, be more open to, again, how we are, um, you know, taking in new ideas you know, maybe there's blends of inter interdisciplinary research that's coming in. And I think the context uh, categories that were added that Bree mentioned at the beginning uh, kind of try to encapsulate that, but there might not be a perfect fit as you go down and select um, those, those topics. Yeah, I would, I would just like to agree with Brian on that one. Um, you know, we really need to be open and in our thinking in terms of what our field is. And if you look at our our constitution and our operating codes, you know, we don't, it's not just sport entertainment that is our focus, right? We have recreation, we have fitness, we have, you know, we have all sorts of different types of sport. And so being open to thinking about what that really means in terms of our field and how people might be bringing in new crossovers or, or um, you know, collaborative efforts that kind of extend what we're working on, 
you know, I think that's really important. So I would agree wholeheartedly with Brian on that one and that we need to be very open-minded in terms of what sport is and what that actually encapsulates. Cause there's a lot of people doing great work in recreation and fitness. And, you know, when we think about, um, you know, Peloton and the, and the boutique fitness, you know, taking off and people using that as, as training for their sport, even though, whether that be triathlon, as an example, I use Peloton and boutique cycling classes to help me train when I can't ride my bike. And so that is an extension of my sport participation. And so just being really open to what that means and how it might contribute to our field is really important. Yeah. And I kind of want to add on to this because if you feel like you get a topic that maybe you aren't familiar with, or is very, feel like cutting edge or tip of the spear, you can reach out to your section head and get some feedback. If you want to like, Hey, do you think this fits within the conference? I mean, my initial reaction is if you're getting as a review, at somewhere along the ways, it probably needs to be considered. But if you're getting something like NFTs that you like, man, this is totally new, never seen this. Maybe that is something you turn back over if you feel like you're really out of your depth of, uh, at uh, Bree, to go back to Bree saying there. Um, or if it's something that you feel like you can do some research if you want to kind of become more informed. But to me, I'd be excited to see more new topics or undercovered or underreported topics within our field, because to me, that would be more exciting than um, and no offense to anyone at NASA because we all there, but we do sometimes fall into the same similar consistent buckets all time. And it would be cool to have a presentation that would go into a different area, but um, the kind of transition here, timeliness. So abstracts are submitted. Everyone gets them out to the reviewer. So take us from there on what the timeline looks like and what we need to make sure we adhere to for the conference. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the biggest um, thing that helpful thing to, to section heads is just being aware of, you know, when your timeline and turnaround is, you know, usually that's the big, I, I should have had this pulled up, Matt, and I'm so sorry that I didn't, but it's usually the first week of December um, that dues are, you know, that reviews are due and then section head uh, follow up is, you know, a couple weeks or a week after. So just making sure that, you know, the section heads don't have to chase you down. It's a very busy time of the year. And we're especially in North American universities, you know, it certainly is a, you know, we understand that assignments are coming due, finals are happening, you're wrapping up the fall semester up in the Northern Hemisphere. And so, you know, we, we are very aware of the timing and it's not always the best, but we, we ask that you please, you know, don't, we don't like to chase you down and, you know, and hound you for things. And so just being aware of when those time, those deadlines are is so helpful for us in terms of our turnaround of section heads to get it back in um, to the academic chair. So, you know, just being aware and putting those on your calendar so that you know, you're, you're up to date and, and, and getting things in timely manner. Yeah, uh, as a section head, normally, I, I guess this, I would, the timeliness is great. Uh, Bree, that's, that's, um, it's really helpful for a section head so we don't have to search, uh, come after you, uh, so to speak, uh, in a non-aggressive term. Uh, but, uh, but when it comes to the timeline on, on what I would recommend a reviewer to do and, and what I found to be helpful, and I don't print things off like ever, but this is like the one time of year that I have to dust off my copier code and, and actually print off these abstracts. I'll read through them once, once the, the week that I get them, I'll revisit them a week later, and then I'll put my scores in based off of the rubric for the specific uh, topic that it is. And then um, I'll review it again uh, a week later and then put my comments in once things have been able to marinate. That's just how my process works. 
And even I do that as a section head before I get my reviewers feedback, just so if there is a lackluster review or there's a uh, discrepancy between the two reviews, I have like my own informed opinion before the, the reviewers in some ways may bias me one way or the other. Um, and then I'll revise my, perhaps uh, revise my scores and perhaps revise my comments based off of those reviewers' uh, comments. But as a reviewer, I would recommend kind of the same process um, as well. Kind of just don't think you have to sit down and just do it once and knock it out in an afternoon, but give it the, the time that someone took to write it and, and really uh, invest in this. And it's investing in our field. And, and we appreciate your service. Uh, we realize, again, it's a very busy time of year, but this is how we kind of elevate our field is through the feedback and investing the time in one another. Ryan, I'm so glad that you said that in terms of not letting your reviewers bias your outcome. I think that's really important. I, I do the same thing. I like to read and write my own notes. Um, I, unlike you, don't print it out, but I have a similar, have a similar process in terms of reading them, you know, marking my scores in a document and, and the notes that I have so that I have a, a general sense of what I'm thinking about them. Yes, before I might potentially be biased by the reviewers' um, responses. And I and it's incredibly helpful for me as a section head to do that in the event there's a tie. <laughs> um, or not, I mean, not a tie, excuse me, uh, an opposite result, uh, an accept and a reject um, in terms of that. Because, uh, you know, one might, you know, having my review done will help me make a better decision in those scenarios because I can decide to go with one versus the other because I've not been biased by their by their own feedback. And so I find that incredibly helpful. I also find it helpful in the terms when potentially there's a double reject and I don't agree, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and so that is also helpful because I would have had my own notes and my own feedback that I would have given. And then I see that. And sometimes I've reversed those outcomes because of that very thing. I've done my own review and I see the merit and I can provide feedback in support of that. And so in, in, very, in very few cases, we do overturn that. Um, outcome. And so it's really important, I think, to to do that first for the section heads so that they can make those really um, important decisions at the, on the on the ending part of this whole process. And I think one thing that would be kind of good to finish this up with of kind of giving all the listeners potentially an, an insight into once everything's submitted. So abstracts are submitted. It goes out to all of you. It gets dispersed out to the reviewers. The reviewers submit all that stuff back. You've kind of given some feedback here. The section heads and kind of review all that and give maybe uh, a suit like potentially superseding, but more of an uh, a decision made on that. And then what happens from there? Certainly. So in this case, um, the academic chair will then review everything and will begin to send out all of the outcomes to the authors. And then from there, um, you know, we hope that you would then uh, do the early bird registration and, and you know, sign up for the conference. And so um, there is a little bit of a lag between, you know, the, the when the reviewers submit versus when the academic or the section heads review and submit themselves and then collating and that whole process on the back end to get all of the letters ready to go out and and everything like that. So usually we see those go out in early January. Um, so you'll you'll have your results in that case. Awesome. 
All right. Well, I mean, any concluding thoughts here? I mean, yes, the only thing I actually that's... had one more thought. Yes, <laughs> yes. Into my head. As we're reviewing as well, keep in mind that we have some new, you know, we obviously we have our poster. So, you know, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, you know, early career, our students are submitting the posters or the fireside chats. And so these are really great opportunities for our more seasoned reviewers and section heads to offer some great feedback in terms of posters and firesides. Um, and so really think again, going back to the type of abstract you're reviewing becomes important here. So, um, you know, those lightning fire or those light, I should say not fireside, lightning, the lightning um, submissions where it's just this, the shorter um, type of presentation you know, knowing that you're reviewing for that is also important, right? Because they're shorter, they're looking for specific feedback, um, and they're oftentimes early career or even students. So, you know, thinking about how you might provide that that strong feedback in, in those cases are, off, are really important as well. And I don't want to make the assumption that only our early career and, and um, students are doing the the, the lightning uh, presentation option, but um, you know, just keeping that in mind again, what you're reviewing and, and the importance of the feedback related to the type of abstract you're reviewing is again, important. I would just have two uh, last bits. Uh, one would be, you know, ask for a friendly peer review from a colleague that might be in your hallway um, or maybe a collaborator that you have. Um, to really be able to look at that and get an initial review and to help revise it, right? And have them use the rubric and give you feedback that way. Um, I've found that to be extremely helpful in the past. Um, and as they say in Chicago politics, uh, you know, submit early and often. So, you know, uh, you know, fill, fill the docket because, you know, obviously you have uh, two as a, as a presenter, um, and then, you know, advisor opportunities as well. But, you know, just, uh, you know, fill up the docket, use your quota and, and you know, look forward to seeing y'all in, in Atlanta. Yeah, awesome. I was going to say the one thing is with, uh, I kind of want to finish here with maybe some guidance I'd give to the submitters. Of I always like checking out some, especially early on, if you're a doc student, maybe this is your first time submitting, or maybe you're a faculty member, you always want to go to NASA and here's your chance. NASM at least, and Brie will have to fill me in on the new website, but there used to be an archives where you could be able to look and kind of check out all the previous submissions. With 500 words, it does feel like there's a lot of pressure about what to put in there. I mean, Brie, is that archive still up there for people to check out? So we're with the new website, we are in the process of moving all of that over. Um, and so uh, it's, it's there, but it's not, it's currently you know, not available because it's on the old website. If you would like access to them, though, however, you can reach out to me and I can provide you with um, a specific abstract or if, like, like, for example, we've had a, a lot of people who are either going up for promotion or doing or in need of some like, research fellow uh, type of submissions where they're in need of that abstract. <laughs> and so um, I would just let everyone know in the, in the short term until we get all of those on the new website, you can definitely reach out to me and I'm happy to share um, the archived versions of those things for you. So it's just a matter of reaching out to me and um, we can we can help you out there. Awesome. All right. Well, Dr. Newland, Dr. McCullough, thanks for joining us to talk about this. I think this will be good and will be good for not only the reviewers, but also people submitting to kind of have some guidance for them. So thanks for joining. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, thanks for joining us here for this episode of Status for Management. We hope you will join us for the next one.